my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Well, happy Wednesday, everybody, the January 16th, 19. 19- 2019, and um, we have a great guest on today. We're going to have Eileen Applebaum on from the uh, Center for Economic and Policy Research down in D.C. We talk about private equity uh, and Sears and so forth. Most people, Eileen, I don't know, when you're around friends and, and say you're at a cocktail party, do people really understand what private equity is? Well, I think it's a eyes glaze over as soon as you mention private equity. People think it's too hard to understand, but actually it's quite easy to understand. Uh, we wrote a, an article about private equity and groceries because people may not feel they can understand private equity, but everybody feels they know about groceries. So when you see it work, it's a uh, Midas touch for the private equity companies in this space. People really get it. Yeah. You know, you know, Eileen, you're one of the leading economists in the country um, uh, in regards to private equity because you're one of the only uh, brave ladies to, to speak out about this stuff. And you and Ladovic uh, over in the U.K., we had him on the show, by the way. But could you yes, tell— he's great. Yeah, but he's great. Um, could you just tell us, how our audience, how big private equity is in the United States and the U.K., and how, how big of an industry is it? Well, it's huge. It's huge. There were 5,000 companies in the U.S. bought by private equity just in the past year. 5,000? They buy up companies. They buy up their workers. Uh, We could talk a little bit about the private equity model in retail. I think everybody has seen uh, all the failures of the retail enterprises uh, and the bankruptcies, everything from Claire's to Gymboree to Payless Shoes, uh, just on and on. David's Bridal, you, you name something, there's probably a private equity firm that's driven that, a company in that sector into, into bankruptcy. Seven major supermarket chains went bankrupt in private equity hands in the last three years. So uh, their model is they look – the sweet spot for private equity is a company that owns its own real estate, has very little debt, and has constant cash flow that they can dip into. Uh, and that sweet spot is uh, chains of fast food restaurants. Yep. Uh, chains of of uh, supermarkets, yep. chains of retail stores. Uh, retail is always a challenging business to be in, and companies learned long ago that if you're going to survive the challenges, be able to reinvent yourself, do what it takes to be competitive, you need to own your own real estate so that if things are going south for you, you don't have to pay rent. That's a big help. Have little debt, so interest is not eating up your uh, earnings in the periods when earnings are not so high, uh, and of course these are high cash flow uh, industries. And private equity sees that and they say, "Oh, great! We can load them up with debt because they don't have much. We can monetize their real estate by selling it off. We pocket all the money for the real estate, and the stores now have to pay rent. So uh, this is 
not a good situation for the stores, and it's not hard to see why any challenge, of which there are many, uh, can lead to uh, companies entering bankruptcy. It's not just Amazon. It's not just Walmart. Amen. Uh, the challenges, you know, there are multiple challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Now that yes, yeah, the, but the, the the bankruptcies have been huge, and I think you know, and it's always been financial engineering. I think the real estate uh, sale leaseback started with Cerberus. Remember them uh, with Mervin's? Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and then um, uh, let's see. Uh, it's, there's been so many of them, and it, and it's and right. with the blessing of the internet. I mean, it's really out there to to see, but there's only been uh, so many people to to really. Um, uh, uh, explain to the public, uh, like yourself. That's right. So, so you know, Robert Samuelson, in a column this week, uh, blamed the Sears uh, demise on the fact that, oh, well, we now have Amazon, we have Walmart, and Sears just couldn't keep up. This is what the private equity industry says. This is what they want you to believe. But uh, they want to take no responsibility. But what we know is Sears was so loaded with debt that back in 2011, when it first started to have problems and its share price tanked, nobody came in to buy it out because its debt was higher than its market cap. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and you know, because it was ESL Investments, which is Eddie Lampert, and we had uh, Bill Cohan. I don't know if you know Bill. He writes for Bloomberg and um, uh, Vanity Fair and so forth. But Sure. And he, he's a great guy, and uh, he uh, interviewed Eddie Lampert, but... Um, but the thing is, it always involves debt. And, and do you, you know, do people know that you know before Eddie Lampert kind of pushed uh, Lands in out the door, which is their clothing um, mm-hmm. uh, outlet, and then they had the Orch- Orchard Supply, which is a um, hardware supply in uh, primarily in California, that they loaded up uh, the ESL in, including um, Aries Management out of Los Angeles, loaded up uh, the these companies with. You know, half a billion, uh, close to nine hundred billion dollars in debt in a right, di- in right. a dividend recap. Could, right. Could you explain to our audience what a dividend recap is? Yes. So first, they buy the companies and they load them up with debt, as you just said. It's just really uh, very high levels of debt when they buy them. And people should realize that the private equity firm or the hedge fund owns the company. It loaded it up with debt. But it is the company that has to pay back the debt, and the hedge fund and the private equity fund are not on the hook to pay back that debt. So the company is now loaded up with debt, and what the owners, the private equity owners or the hedge fund owners want is they want a quick return on their money. And so they, they require this company, which they own, to go into the junk bond market, sell junk bonds, putting more debt on the company, and using the proceeds from that sale of junk bonds to pay dividends to the investors in either the hedge fund or the private equity fund. It's, it's, I mean, this is, makes no sense at all. Yeah, and I don't know if you've been following a PetSmart, because I, I kind of, before we had you on the show, I talked about PetSmart, you know, and, every, and they're, they're having trouble yeah. with their lenders right now because of, uh, they want to uh, push off their online business, Chewy.com, to put it out of uh, reach of uh, creditors like, in case they go right. into default. But you know what I've never seen, Eileen, is that no one's BC Partners bought it. It was in 2016, and 10 months after they bought the company, they extracted $800 million in dividends. Why is anyone yes. talking about this? Yes, why is this not illegal? 
So uh, in Europe, for example, they have adopted some regulations. And one of the regulations is that uh, when a private equity fund or a hedge fund, any alternative investment fund, buys a company, it cannot take any kind of dividends, not out of the cash flow and not out of selling junk bonds and uh, putting more debt on the company to pay the dividends for the first two years. You can't come in, buy the company in 10 months, make them go into the junk bond market, uh, issue debt, use the money that they get by borrowing more money just to pay you, the uh, investors in the private equity fund or the hedge fund, to pay you dividends. This is not legal in Europe. It should not be legal here. Yes. Yeah. And But um, <laughs> uh, it, it just goes on. The carnage continues. Um, and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, cause, yeah PetSmart, it's the largest um, pet store retailer in the country, probably if not the world. And this is going on in broad daylight. And BC Partners, I think they're from the U.K., am I correct? I th- yeah. I think so. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Yeah, so they've done this with the, with a bunch of companies, but um, um, no, it's it's very common. You know, and um, but I, I have, but but also, we have the the question of um, uh, which you brought out um, on the grocery stores, and I think who was the guy who wrote the article in the Washington uh, Post uh, on uh, Mar- uh, Wariski, Peter Wariski. Yeah, he's on great. Marsh. Yeah. Yeah, could you explain the? Now, not only they, they extracted all these fees and dividends and stuff like that, they put it into bankruptcy, and then the pension gets dumped. Could you explain what happened? Yes, there? that's so. So, the the folks that suffer in the bankruptcy are the workers who will either lose their jobs or have to make concessions in wages and benefits to keep the stores running. Uh, the pensioners, because what happens is, uh, if it's a privately owned company like these supermarkets are then we have something called the Pension Benefit Guarantee uh, Corporation, PBGC, and they can dump the pensions of the workers uh, onto the PBGC, which does give you something, but not what you were promised. So, uh, you know, Sears has 100,000 retirees receiving pensions, and if those pensions are thrown onto the PBGC, all 100,000 of them are going to take a, a big cut in their retirement income. So that's an aspect that people are probably not focused on, but that's one of the things that you can do in bankruptcy. Uh, get rid of the pensions that you owe your workers, uh, and then some other company comes along and buys you out of, buys the company out of bankruptcy, but the pensioners are still in trouble. And the other group that gets uh, badly hurt are the creditors. So in the case of Sears, in 2015, when it was clear they were in trouble, Eddie Lampert and his ESL hedge fund sold off more than 250 of the stores that were located where the real estate was really valuable. And they sold it to a company called Seritage that Eddie Lampert had also set up. So Eddie Lampert is the chairman of the board of Seritage. He's the president of Sears, and he sells the best properties from Sears to Seritage. Uh, That's no longer part of Sears, and in the bankruptcy proceedings, the creditors cannot get any of that money to help make up for what they lent the company and are not getting back. So they have no qualms about uh, uh, not treating creditors fairly, just the same as they don't treat the workers or the pensioners fairly in these situations. 
I mean, Eddie Lambert made a ton of money because Seritage then took these properties, developed one of them into a luxury uh, shopping mall, developed another one into offices for high-tech companies. They're, they're doing great. They're making tons of money on the Seritage side. And one other thing that we should pay attention to, because it tells you something about who's running our government, our Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, uh, is an investor in the ESL hedge fund. Oh, is and he? And he was, he was on the board of Sears for 12 years, watching it go down the tubes and pocketing all that money that the investors got. And now he's our Treasury Secretary. Yeah, it, it's Seritage. Now, is is Warren Buffett, did you did I hear from someone? Yeah, I've heard that Warren Buffett is an invent, investor in Seritage. You know, but, uh, you know, you know, there are news reports that say that I, I can't really confirm it, but I think that's true. And, you know, and um, the funny thing is that ESL Investments was, I guess it must be Eddie Lampert's uh, initials. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of his largest investors are uh, David Geffen, you know, the me- media mogul and right. and uh, Michael Dell, who pulled off, yes. the, you know, Dell computer leverage by out of them. Which is one of the largest leverage buys of all time, and I think that you know the Tish family, which they own Lowe's, I guess, and uh, maybe right. Ziff Davis, the Ziff Davis Publishing. So we have some really big names here, and and no one seems to want to put it pull it together. Uh, right. I, I so think. so what's interesting? The difference between a private equity fund and a hedge fund is that a hedge fund invests usually does not take over. Sears is an exception but invest in publicly traded companies. So Sears is publicly traded and Seritage is publicly traded. So unlike private equity, which has very little regulation or oversight, publicly traded companies have lots of regulation and oversight. The Securities and Exchange Commission is their regulator. Where is the SEC in all of this? Why are they not out there defending uh, the creditors, the workers, the pensioners, and so on? Why are they letting... uh, Eddie Lampert and ESL get away with this. That's my question. I don't know. I guess I don't have a jet. And I don't have a private. My my summer home is in Nantucket, Eileen. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know. So, but but I just, I just, um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you because you're in you're in Washington D.C. Am I correct? And um, yes, I am. In <laughs> you know, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you some questions, and we're going to have to take a break in a little minute. But <clears throat> I mean, I look. And I and I look at uh, at, um, at at private equity and, and finance in particular, and so much of it is centered in, in D.C. Did you see that uh, the Jerome Powell, who now is the chairman of the Federal Reserve uh, Bank, uh, the Central Bank of the United States, was just interviewed by David Rubenstein on the Economic Club of Washington D.C. <laughs> Tell your people who David Rubenstein is. He's the guy from Carlisle Private Equity Fund. Uh. I mean, yeah, yeah, him and his patriotic philanthropy. I call it, uh, I call it patriotic um, carpet bagging. You know, it's just uh, yeah, yeah. Who are they to decide what are the worthy things to support? Let them pay taxes and let the taxpayers decide where the money should go. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's just um, yeah, because that's my next question. But uh, there's a the New Yorker did a great article a couple years ago about David Rubenstein. So uh, uh, for the record and. Um, and David Rubenstein, and he's, boy, he's grabbed more spotlight than I mean, he's he. I've never seen a picture he he's tried to miss, and uh, you know, he's he's one of the co-founders of the Carlisle Group, 
based in you know the and and the, based here in DC. B- yeah. Based here in DC, and you know the three founders of the, some of the wealthiest men in America. Uh, they manage over two hundred billion, uh, uh, you know, according to their website. Um, he's got his own um, show on Bloomberg, uh, and he's uh, let's see, and he's uh, he's on the board of the Harvard Corporation, that prestigious Ivy League up here, and um, and he, last year, Dylan, I don't know if you saw this, but he got the Leader of the Year award from Yale in March last year, but. No, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah, you get you get the leader of the year, Eileen, uh, in March of 2018. Now, but get this, it, it was the same month that Rubenstein and the Carlyle Group put uh, HCR Medicare into bankruptcy, and you know, right. and and they also put a month prior to that, they put Philadelphia Energy, which is the largest refiner on the East Coast of gasoline, into bankruptcy as well. Does is everyone? Bought off by private equity in Washington, D.C.? You're on the ground there. Uh, well, you know, sometimes you get the feeling that uh, Wall Street is uh, in charge of the executive branch of the government. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, President Trump uh, uh, routinely invites people like uh, uh, Stephen Schwartzman of Blackstone or uh, others of these uh, uh, from Goldman Sachs or other of these uh, Wall Street firms to watch television with him, <laughs> to hang out with him, uh, puts them in charge of important things in his administration. Wilbur Ross is a private equity guy. He's in big trouble right now because he lied about why he was putting a citizenship uh, question on the 2020 census, and a judge has just said uh, that's a no-go. Uh, he claimed it was for one purpose, and it turns out really it was to suppress uh, responses so that immigrants would not want to answer, even if they were here legally, even if they were now citizens, uh, and that that would lower the count of people in states that have large immigrant populations, and that would lower their uh, number of members of Congress and their the amount of uh, 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 benefits that they get from the from the federal government and so on. So, just a just a miserable uh, thing to. Uh, exclude states uh, that have large immigrant populations from uh, full participation in uh, the political system. And a judge has just said, this does not fly. But Wilbur Ross came out of private equity. So, you know, what's to say? I mean, the, the, the Goldman Sachs guys, Gary Cohen, who was the top advisor on economic issues to Trump for the first couple of uh, uh, months or maybe year of his administration, the uh, private equity funds that said, yeah, we're going to finance Trump's uh, investment in infrastructure. But they expected a huge giveaway from the government for infrastructure. That's that's when they would finance it, when they knew that it was going to be a winner for them. Uh, and, of course, uh, the gover- the, uh, our government has not put up the money yet for investment in infrastructure. And it turns out that without that sweetener, private equity is not so interested in clean water, in transportation, uh, in all of the uh, kinds of infrastructure investment that we need uh, so desperately in this country. Yeah, you know, and I could I could tell you, you know, my son, my youngest son, believe it or not, lives in Beijing, China, and they have a lot of pollution problems. But man, they have a lot better roads than we do. And um, you know, um, but could you explain to our audience, Eileen, how? Two of the really big things, which, uh, which really how the taxpayer subsidized the industry, uh, amongst other things, about the interest deductibility of all the interest that you, they use, 
and uh, number right. one. And number two, could you tell us how carry interest works? So uh, to me, that's I just can't believe that still exists. But could you, tell, <laughs> could you explain the interest right. deduction? Before we carried interest, yep. a private equity firm has uh, develops sponsors a private equity fund, and they recruit wealthy individuals, pension funds, especially pension funds. Our pension funds put up about a third of the money that goes into private equity funds, uh, sovereign wealth funds, and so on, to put money into a private equity fund. For every dollar that pension funds put into the private equity fund, the firm puts in one or two cents. (laughs) (laughs) So they put in like two pennies when you put in a dollar. At the end of the day, uh, despite all these bankruptcies, they, they call these companies portfolio companies. <laughs> you know, if you have a portfolio of stocks, some will go up, some will go down. You just hope your portfolio on balance goes up. So we have these bankruptcies, but the portfolio on balance generally does go up uh, for the private equity uh, funds. And when it does, then the, uh, the private equity firm takes 20%, 20% of whatever the private equity fund earns. So they put in 2, 2% and they take out 20%. They take the lion's share of the winnings. And then what they do is they treat that as if they had put in money at risk uh, <laughs> and therefore uh, they, this should be treated as a capital gain. And capital gains, at least in the past, were taxed at a much lower rate than corporate uh, profits. And of course, uh, one of the things that just happened is that the Trump tax cut has lowered the tax on corporate profits, but the capital gains in the past, at least, were taxed at a much lower level. And for all of those years, they got that tax break. They got 20 percent of the winnings, and then they paid very low taxes on that. So that's the capital gains scam that goes on. The other one that you were talking about is interest on the debt yeah. that a company has. So the way this works is that uh, – uh, the, the uh, companies owned by a private equity fund. Now, as we talked about earlier, they've been loaded with debt and they have to pay interest on all of that. That interest gets deducted from that company's profits before it pays taxes. So its tax burden is greatly lowered by that. And this then uh, increases the after-tax value of this company. Uh, so it's, a, it's, again, it's a way of uh, private equity or the companies that it owns uh, avoiding paying their fair share of taxes. Now, another thing which I didn't know, you told me the, uh, last week, the other week, is that when they do these dividend recaps, like when BC Partners lo- levered up uh, the heck out of uh, PetSmart or uh, mm-hmm. so all this, there's a number of these, as, as you know, where they, and they, and they extract these enormous dividends. You said it actually... It actually improves their internal rate of return. I mean, I mean. Yeah, that's another piece of it. So the internal rate of return, which is what the industry likes to use to measure its performance, is really a very bad measure of private equity performance. It's an algorithm. It just works. It works. It's rule driven. It has nothing to do with what's actually happening. So. Uh, any money that is returned to investors early in the life of a private equity fund, and as you pointed out, they own that company 10 months and already paid themselves a dividend, right? Uh, that goes into this internal rate of return formula as uh, something that really raises 
the, the this internal rate of return, but that has nothing to do with how much money you as a pension fund and an investor in a private equity fund are going to see for your beneficiaries. It has nothing to do with it. And yet everybody agrees to use this particular very flawed measure. And it's not like there's not another measure. In the early years, we didn't have other measures. But in 2005, two very talented finance economists developed a different measure uh, that really compares how the private equity fund is doing relative to uh, uh, publicly traded companies, the public market, the stock market. And that could be used, and that would give a much more valid picture of how private equity is performing. And one of the reasons they don't want to do it is that that particular measure uh, shows that the that the uh, private equity funds launched after 2005, that is from 2006 on, all the way up to the present time, uh, just about matched the stock market. They don't do better than it. They don't do much worse, you know, a little up, a little down. But on average, they're just matching the stock market. So the pension funds are putting all this money into private equity, which is very risky, which can lead to bankruptcies, uh, which, uh, you know, in many ways is a, a, a poor choice of an investment. They do it because they are supposed to be getting all these super-duper returns. But, in fact, they're not getting the super-duper returns, and they'd be much better off investing in the stock market. Yeah. You know, and the whole thing is that um, – uh, talk about retail bankruptcies. Um, you familiar, uh, Eileen, about uh, Remington um, uh, Outdoor, which was the uh, – uh, which 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 is the world's largest weapons cartel owned by Cerberus yes, Capital. Yeah, they made the guns that killed the little kids. In, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, was it um, in Connecticut? Uh, what was the name? Yes. Um, <clears throat> but you know who, who was the? This is the irony of the whole thing. Is it to me? And it's really weird. It's kind of a it's weird bed, bedfellows is that these public pensions are in bed with these private equity guys. But you know who the largest limited partner was uh, on the Remington Auto. Um, Remington Online. Uh, I don't know if they were the largest, but they were the most upset, and that was Calsters. Calsters, the yeah. California Teachers Pension Fund. Yeah, and and, and yeah, they wanted to get out. They wanted Remington to sell. Uh, they wanted the, the private equity fund to sell Remington. I think it was Cerberus, and they said, "Sure, if we get a good enough price, we'll do it." And there was nothing, nothing that the pension Teachers Pension Fund could do about that. Of course. Uh, since uh, uh, Trump has gotten elected, their sales have gone way down. Back in the Obama days, the people who buy Remington guns were loading up. God knows what they were expecting, but they were loading up with guns. Now they don't worry about it so much, and Remington, as you probably know, is also in bankruptcy. And uh, they, they put the uh, the largest one of the largest creditors was uh, uh, the pension fund Marlin uh, Firearms, which is uh, was part of their uh, their uh, portfolio um, of companies. Wow. You know, but get this one. I don't know if you knew follow this, but I have Eileen. Is that uh, in 2010, uh, Cerberus they levered up. Uh, what do we, I, I forget what was the name. It was they called it the Freedom Group. Be <laughs> uh, prior because they always change the names to protect the the guilty. Um, but they they levered up the company uh, uh, with 200 million in pick notes um, to pull out a, a debt funded dividend. Are you are you familiar with pick notes? Not and, that particular one. Okay, yeah. Well, you, could you well do you know you're familiar with pick notes though? 
So this is this allows them to take payment in kind and not have to actually pay money. I'm not sure how that all works. Yeah. So so you know you know the pay, payment in kind notes essentially what they did is they sold debt, um, which is you know as Warren Buffett mm-hmm. aptly said, how do you, how do you default on something to to promise to pay nothing? And so they raised two hundred uh, million to pick notes and they right. they extracted the dividends and uh, I'll ha- I'm happy to share with you. I tell you about the research I've been doing, but. They, they've been sure. they've been used in, incredibly uh, on Wall Street. So, um, so one of the things which I this is my opinion, uh, my guesstimate is that, as you know, the this the last crisis, Eileen, was uh, caused by debt and subprime debt. My feeling is that uh, the leveraged loans and the, all this debt incurred by private equity and, and not just private equity, but other people, uh, could be really kind of a harbinger of things to come. Um, so I don't. Uh, we've looked at that here at the Center for Economic and Policy Research, and we don't think that you have the same interconnectedness and the same level of indebtedness that we had uh, in the financial crisis. We're not anticipating a financial crisis, but where you're correct is that there will be pain in some parts of the economy, and these highly leveraged loans and companies that really cannot can barely afford them, any slowdown in the economy is going to lead to more defaults and more pain. So there will be pain, but we're not expecting a financial crisis. You're not. Okay. So I you know, I just wonder because uh, companies like, um, for instance, uh, Netflix, you know, it's really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I love that I'm a subscriber to it or whatever, but they've really grown primarily on debt. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, and so. No, uh, it's true. It's yeah. true. So, so there are companies that will not be able to sustain uh, debt payments, if there's even a slowdown, we don't even need a recession if there is a slowdown. And it's hard to predict which company it will be, but uh, clearly there's going to be uh, some amount of pain. Uh, I don't know about Netflix so much, but the private equity funds, uh, are, are they, they, they have to match the Wall Street prices. And you've seen the stock market go up, 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 raising valuations of companies, meaning that when private equity wants to buy a company, it's overpaying for these companies. So it's overpaying for these companies. It's loading them up with debt. How does anybody think they're going to make money out of this? Well, they they're going to make their fees. I mean, what's the, the fees management? they will get? Absolutely. <laughs> but the but the uh, investors in the private equity funds, the pension funds, I think they're going to find themselves really disappointed. Yeah, but it's it's when you, but you look at it, if you look at the like say something like Calpers, which I, that, that is the largest pension fund yeah, in, in the U.S. I, that's kind of like the pot of gold of private equity. Would you agree? Or it's highly invested in private equity, and it has a new harebrained scheme for more investments with less accountability and less transparency in private equity. And and they're going to try to do it in house. Is that that's exactly right? <laughs> but in a way that is not is not. Um, accountable to the CalPERS Board of Trustees, which is what oversees that fund for the beneficiaries. So it's going to have a completely unaccountable uh, in-house private equity operation going on. It, it, it makes no sense. Let me ask you, this is, you know, we have a, quite a mess here. And the, and the reason why I always get into it, um, Eileen, is that uh, it's always about using and abusing other people's money. And, um, yeah. and um, you know, when I look at um, the bankruptcies of, say, uh, Caesars Entertainment, which was owned by Apollo, 
uh, right. and, 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 and Texas Pacific Group. Um, and, you know, you know, they were using uh, reserves from the Athene Insurance Company, uh, you know, as Caesars was, was marching towards bankruptcy. And um, right. and no one seems to talk about it. And and nope. and uh, because private equity is hardly regulated at all, it's hard to find out exactly what they're doing. Nobody is looking at them, and they're not being held accountable. Yeah. The um, what would you suggest? Um, because obviously this is a uh, subject people need to know more about. Because I think uh, stewardship, you know, particularly when you're investing other people's money, what would you suggest? Uh, uh, people do, uh, and first of all, how do, how do they get your books? And uh, that one you did with Rosemary, for Amazon, you can it's it's available on Amazon. And that's, I hate to say that, but that that's probably the easiest way to get it. It's called the Private Equity at Work When Wall Street Manages Main Street. But they can go also to uh, the Seeper website, just seeper.net. And uh, we have quite a few uh, articles up there, including one on the poor performance of private equity since the financial crisis. Yeah, because it might have been a good investment before that, but it has not been since. Yeah, but yeah, but that's but 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 the um, I think the University of Maryland. I don't know if you saw that study, um, or I don't know, maybe yeah. quote me if I'm wrong. But I guess after the financial crisis roughly about 6% of the portfolios of pension funds were in alternatives which would be private equity hedge funds distressed debt that type of thing mm-hmm. and now would you agree that it's somewhere around 26% uh, it's it's incredible. well for some yes it, it's certainly rising i would have said about 20% but yeah that could, it could be 26% it's a, a couple of the finance economists at Johns Hopkins that did that report yeah. they they are first rate so you can you can trust what they find. Yeah. So yeah. So it's yeah. The University of Maryland, I think. I. I but anyway, it's it's. But I was just I was shocked. So um, also, and I talked to this prior to you having on the show is that these funds, um, Blackstone and Carlisle and CVC and KKR, they're developing fifteen-year funds now. Do, have you heard about this? Uh, oh yes. This this there. This is all to the advantage of the private equity funds. And none to the advantage of the investors. Why any investor would do that? Tie up your money for 15 years, not 10 years, with no control over it, and uh, you know just ride out whatever they, the, the the fund managers who are partners in the private equity firms decide they're going to do with it. It makes no sense whatsoever. I call I call it Hotel California money, Eileen. You can get it anytime <laughs> you want, but you can never leave. You know. You can never leave. That's exactly right. And and um, yeah. So it's it's it's. Been... I mean, it's to mask the poor performance. I mean, investors are going to find out sooner or later that the funds did not perform as advertised. And then what? Well, if they're locked up for 15 years, you get past that. Yeah. And... It's right now. It's right now that private equity is buying high, uh, and wondering how it's ever going to make a profit. If you have 15 years, okay, you know, maybe you can do something. But but also, wouldn't you agree? You know, and this is—I've uh, actually—I've had some very heated conversations with some, certain people. Um, the, a lot of these private equity that is really good at spin. I'll give you a great example. Ludovic, uh, how, how do you say his last name? He's, he's Ludovic Falapu. Uh, Lud- oh, oh he was a great guy. And all these, like they—they had—I call it like the Harvard mystique. That all these um, endowments make all these outsized rate of returns. 
Ludovic did it, but he did it on. I, I, he read his book, um, uh, Private Equity at Work. He said if, if if Yale actually got the returns that said it did in private equity, and they're also including venture capital in this, uh, he said if they actually got those rates of return, they quote, they Yale would have like six trillion dollars in their endowment. I mean, I mean, right. It, so the, it's a lot right. of them. They don't not, get what they say, and it does set a model, and it really is unfortunate. Yeah, because so. yeah, like like Harvard is uh, and the uh, got four point four percent over the past uh, decade. And, and that's the largest endowment in, and a college endowment in the world. Four point four percent is not so good over the last decade. Yeah, the so, stock market did much better than that. Yeah, and so and also, but what they're doing to goose returns now too, uh, Eileen, is that they're starting to take out uh, my assistant uh, Tracy. If you're listening, uh, she noticed this, and another. Uh, uh, they're starting to take out the 2008 uh, numbers to make things even look better. So when you when you take out 2008. Um, it's, it's <laughs> oh, that's convenient. You know, it's and and yeah, and um, and but the whole thing is, is that you know, and I have an actuary friend of ours, Steve. You're listening. Uh, uh, he's an actuary and an economist. Uh, what we found, Eileen, on on the pensions, long rates of return on pension funds really don't really deviate that much from 30-year treasuries. I don't know. Have you found anything like that in your research? Uh, so it depends on when you start the story. Before 2005, they were certainly they were beating the treasuries. They were even beating the stock market at the median. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. private equity was a reasonable investment. Yeah. At least you could make a case for it when it was 8% of your portfolio, and you're talking about before 2005. It's since then that the returns have suffered. Yeah, it's just, uh, but but the, yeah. but the, but the amount of leverage buyouts in this country is just, you know, I think it was the Economist. They did a study that there was like twenty five leverage buyout companies in the in the nineteen eighties, and I think, uh, I think according yeah, we have a couple thousand now. To, I think it's like Prequin, Pregin, I forget how out of London said there's something like sixty six hundred. Well, PitchBook says they're about forty three hundred, but whether it's forty three hundred or sixty six hundred, it's not twenty five. <laughs> and there's a lot of them competing for the same uh, companies to buy, driving up the price. You know all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. So great. This has been really great. This has been great. So Eileen, how, how can people find more about you? Where they go to uh, www. Uh, what? See, just super dot net. Put it in your browser. It'll take you right to us. And just put my name in the search. And you, all right, well, Eileen, we'll keep pushing back the frontiers of ignorance. This has been great, and um, okay. you're a brave lady, and we and we love what you do. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you. I enjoy talking with you. God bless. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been the Economic Warrior with your host Barry James Dyke, broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?